Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join together in worship of our triune God. A hearty welcome to all who are present here and to all those who have joined us via the live stream this afternoon. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. The consistory with deacons will meet the Lord willing tomorrow evening at 8pm in the consistory room. Sister Julia Rupka has arrived with attestation from the Free Reformed Church of Mundajong and we welcome her into our congregation. This afternoon's service will be led by Reverend Bradenhoff, minister from our sister church in Mount Nashura. Before we begin, let us sing together hymn 23, verse 5 and 6. Brothers and sisters, let us rise for the worship of our God. And we confess our dependence on the Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Receive God's greeting. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's respond to God's greeting of grace by singing his praise, Psalm 135, verse 1 and 2. Amen. Hey. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, we hear these words from the Apostle Paul. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let us make confession together of our Catholic and undoubted faith, confessing faith in our one Lord and in the gift of his salvation, singing our creed in hymn one. Let us call on the name of our God in prayer and ask for his blessing to be on us as we open his word and as we worship him. Let us pray. Holy Father, gracious Son, our Savior, and life-giving Spirit, may you, the triune God, Receive all the praise through our worship this afternoon. For you, Lord, alone are worthy to receive all honor and glory, wisdom and strength, power and might, thanksgiving and praise, both now and forever. You alone are God, the great God, and you are our God through your grace and through the working of your spirit in our hearts. You have saved us from the depths of misery and despair. Lord, you have 
rescued us out of the goodness of your grace. And you did so according to your perfect plan. That plan that you put together before the foundation of the world. That you accomplished through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Gracious Lord, though we were not deserving, you did everything to save us. Though we did not even ask for the gift of salvation, you gave it freely, generously, and so powerfully. Father, you even sent your own Son to die in our place for the sins that we constantly commit against you. And you give us of his Spirit, through whom we may be joined to Christ with a true faith and with a genuine love. Gracious God, all this is your work. All this is evidence of your goodness and your favor. And so we praise you, our God and Savior, and we ask this afternoon that you would bless us in our worship and help us to praise you even more. We pray this afternoon that our love for you would be deepened as we look into your word, as we see the glory of who you are, as we see the glory of what you are doing among your people. Open our eyes that we may see you. Open our hearts through the working of your spirit that we may love your will. Strengthen us that we may serve you as your church, as the body of Christ, as those belonging to our Savior and our head. So bless us and lead us and receive this prayer and answer it in your wisdom for Jesus' sake. Amen. We'll look together at the words of the Catechism a little bit later as they relate to the Church of Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 21. And in connection with what we confess in Lord's Day 21 about the Church, we read a couple of passages from God's Word from Romans 12 and from 1 Corinthians 12. So turn with me to Romans 12. Romans 12, Paul speaks about the life of the body of believers devoted to Christ and thanksgiving. And he writes there in the power of the Spirit, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone 
among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Then a second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Also about life in the church. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, 
and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So far, our readings from God's Word. Let's sing before preaching Psalm 125, verse 1 and 2.
We may look in the Catechism at Lord's Day 21 this afternoon, continuing the explanation of the Apostles' Creed. Approaching the end of the Apostles' Creed in the articles on the church and the forgiveness of sins. This is on page 535, Lord's Day 21. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his spirit and word in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, all and everyone, as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins nor my sinful nature, against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into condemnation. After we listen to God's word and the preaching, we'll respond to it by singing hymn 61, verse 1 and 2. Beloved in Christ, it's striking in a way that the church is included in the Apostles' Creed. There it is in the ninth article. I believe a holy Catholic church, the communion of saints. But seeing the church there is remarkable because the rest of the creed is really all about God. Here we confess our faith in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The creed is all about God's being and his persons and his saving works. Throughout the creed, we are in exalted company. Then we get to this article, we downshift dramatically. Oh, it's only about the church, someone might say, because the church can seem so ordinary. We think of the people that make up the church, ordinary folks. We don't always agree with them either. Sometimes we don't even like them. And then we should remember something basic as we think about the church, that for all its imperfections and its flaws, it is the handiwork of God. We confess that it is God's church and Christ's people. If we were only an earthly project, an earthly assembly, we would never last. But the church has a firm foundation, and its builder and architect is God. And that is why scripture, 
speak so very highly about the church. The church is the bride of Christ and his chosen flock. The church is the spirit's temple, the father's family, the pillar and the bulwark of the truth. And how else does scripture describe the church? Well, it calls it the body of Christ. He is our head and we are his members. There's a comfort in that identity and there's also a calling. There's great promise. There's also a great obligation in being the church. So this is our theme from Lord's Day 21. We belong to the church, which is Christ's body. We'll look at how there's unity in our glorious head, variety among all the members, and there's the necessity of individual service. Well, what's a body without a head? It's nothing. Basic anatomy says that for all the limbs to operate and for the various systems to work, you need constant direction from the head. And so the catechism is right to begin teaching about the church in this way. I believe that the Son of God, we start with Christ when we talk about the church. We don't begin by taking a survey of what's agreeable to all the church members or considering what the culture around us would have us do or say, no, who is the head of this church? Who's in charge but the Son of God? Jesus Christ is in heaven, managing all things in this universe, and yet he is ever concerned for his people here on earth. The Son of God is preserving for himself a church chosen to everlasting life. Christ is busy with his church. And notice, he's not even doing it for us and for our salvation in the first place. He's doing it for himself. Gathering for himself a people. The church is an instrument of his glory. Lord God has put many marvelous things in his creation so that people will see it and express wonder. Things that cause us to say, surely this is a great work of God. Just think of the beautiful things we see us in creation. Well, in the same way, Christ wants other people to see the church and to marvel. And to say, surely this is God's great work. See how these people love each other. See how they worship. See how they stand together. Who but God could do this. The church is the signature project of Christ, and it's closely wrapped up in his own identity as the Savior. When he was on earth, Jesus spoke often about his people, his sheep, those blessed ones for whom he would lay down his life. Not because we first loved him, but because he loved us. Not because we chose him, But he chose us. In grace, he's made us his own. And he's brought us so close to himself that we can even be called his body. And in that familiar image, we see an amazing picture of unity. A head and a body are one in the fullest possible way. Their purpose is the same. Their life is the same. 
So for Christ and us, because he is our head, we share in who he is, in his power and in his spirit. The Catechism touches on this in answer 55, when it first asks what it means to be part of the body, and it says there that believers, all and everyone, as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. The key phrase there is communion with him, or fellowship with Christ. Think again of how entirely the body depends on its head. It simply could not survive without that connection. Because of our link to the living Christ, because of that link, we have life. We'll come back to Christ's gifts a bit later. But for now, we look at the next article of the Creed explained in question and answer 56. It's about forgiveness. Because among all of Christ's treasures and all of Christ's gifts, the greatest is certainly this, that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, but graciously grants me the righteousness of Christ. Notice that unity again. How the righteousness of Christ, established by his own obedience, by his own suffering, that righteousness is now shared with us. If we were standing on our own two feet, our body would be so very weak. If you had to picture the church, this church, this congregation today as a human body, imagine what kind of body we'd be. Maybe a decent looking body on the outside. But a body suffering from untold aches and internal pains. We are a body that has a big share of illnesses and disease, a body that has a lot of healing to do, a lot of growing to do. Yet the Catechism says we are a body that enjoys the attention of an almighty personal trainer, daily being gathered, defended, preserved by him. The church is a precious body because it's a forgiven body. Though we once received the diagnosis of death, God has declared us to be fundamentally sound. By faith, we are made righteous in him. And so then, as the body of Christ, we're defined by two important relationships. First, As mentioned, we have our glorious head, who is Jesus the Savior. We want to serve and submit to him. We want to trust in Christ with our whole life. And second, second important relationship is our fellow members. By being united to Christ, we are united to one another. The Catechism calls this the unity of the true faith. That's what believers share. That's what binds us together in strength, the gospel of the Son of God. If you believe in Christ, then you're a member of him, in community with him. And what about everyone else? It's simple, really. If they believe in Christ too, then you are in community with them. Whether you like it or not, 
you are joined to your fellow believers. Beloved, this is an important point for understanding what Christian fellowship is. A lot of the time when we talk about fellowship, we put an equal sign between fellowship and social events. We come together for a church event, we have a cup of coffee after the worship service, and we call that fellowship. That was great fellowship, we say. And those are good things. They are things to promote and enjoy. We should actually see, though, that our fellowship together in Christ is something that already is. It's not an event. It's not a luxury. It's a reality. It's not a goal to aim for, but it's a certainty that needs to be worked with. If we both believe in Christ, you and I, then we are already in community together. By faith in Christ, we are a body, many members, all connected to him. Only now, the question is, what will this body do? The question is whether we will live in the unity that we have. Will we just talk about unity? Or will we actually experience it? By our vital connection to Christ, by faith, there is a vital connection to one another. Paul has lots to say about this. We read his words in 1 Corinthians 12. He says a lot about it in Corinthians because the church in Corinth was a church internally divided. Some were saying this gift was better than another. This ministry was better than another. Some saying the rich deserved better treatment than the poor. Everyone was equal, of course. But in the church, some were more equal than others. Paul insists on unity very strongly, though. He says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Like the human body, with all its many different parts, there are also many believers in Christ. People of all different background abilities, strengths and weaknesses, but in Jesus and his spirit, unified. In Christ, we function together. That is, we are meant to function together. For example, Paul says a bit later, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Verse 26. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Because Christ has brought us together, the joy or the suffering of one is joy and suffering for all the others. And the gift of one, and the blessing of one, is a gift and a blessing for all the others. That brings us to consider the variety in the church, variety among all the members. One quality of the church that the Catechism highlights is that it is Catholic, or it is universal. That means that the church is not narrowly based 
restricted to a certain kind of person or country or culture. No, the Son of God has been busy with his church from the beginning of the world to its end. That's a long time. And what's more, he's been gathering it out of the whole human race. That's a big pool of people. And so when we look at the church, we can expect to see great diversity. Diversity we see at a global level and also at a local level. Globally, just think of how true believers in Christ belong to so many different cultures around this world. They speak so many different languages. They tell such diverse stories about what Christ is doing among them. Christ gathers a people for himself in many places. The book of Revelation gives us this beautiful picture of an assembly, a church made up of many tribes and nations and languages and tongues. Global diversity and local diversity. As diverse, Paul says, as the human body. Scripture says, a body has many members. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. And we know that. If you think of it, you've got four limbs, two arms, two legs, one each of a brain, a nose, a mouth, two eyes, two ears, something like 206 bones, more than 600 muscles, 900 ligaments, more than 7,000 parts in our body. Many so very different from each other. Yet together, a cohesive whole. God says all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. In the same way, that's the church joined together in Christ. And yet we all know diversity presents challenges. The Corinthians were judging each other harshly. Sometimes we judge each other too. Maybe we think very highly of our gifts or our position. Consider ourselves more important than others. We find it hard to accept other people who have different Views on matters that are important to us. Pride is always an enemy in the church. And so is a lack of love. We link up with those members who share our opinions. Or we link up with those who have more pleasant personalities. But we avoid, in the end, a fair few others in the church. Paul illustrates how dangerous is that thinking. Imagining if our body parts did the same. For example, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We all know that's madness. God gave to the foot a certain function, and to the eye another. And God said, both belong, for both help each other in their own way. In the same way, diversity is necessary in Christ's body. It's by God's good design so that each member can contribute something of benefit. The Corinthians, instead of fighting over who was more eloquent 
or who could heal more prolifically should have celebrated all the gifts they had. And among us too, think of the variety of gifts there is. Because every part belongs, God works his gifts among every member, you and me and everyone. He works his gifts among old and young, the women and the men, the shy and the outgoing. He makes us all well-suited for a task, not for every task, but one where we can serve Christ and serve each other effectively. When he writes to the Romans, Paul speaks again about the gifts of the Spirit. And in Rome, as well as in Corinth and in Southern River too, Paul says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. God has equipped each one of us as we are. Some with one gift, others with another. All to serve the unity that we have in Christ. And in that spirit, we strive to use our gifts. Paul says, if your gift is service, then serve. If it is teaching, then be diligent in teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and so on. Beloved, that's but a sample. That's only a glimpse of the kind of diversity there can be in Christ's church. Paul mentions teaching, leading, giving, exhorting. And if you stop and think, there are literally dozens and dozens of different ways that people serve in the church. Our consistory puts a list together every year and we keep track of all the things that are happening, all the ways in which people serve. Everything from mowing the lawns to putting together the liturgy sheet, paying the gas bill, making sure there's a glass of cold water on the pulpit. And all that list is just a fraction of what happens in church life. Those are just the official and the, unor- the organized things, generally connected to the things that we do in this building. There are countless ways in which the body of Christ is active. So many ways in which the different members are using their gifts during the week and month by month. Think of a younger member who tries to contribute to a good discussion at club. Think of the deacon who faithfully reaches out with compassion. Or think about the brother who takes the time to mentor another brother over coffee at Dome. Think about the sisters who are quick to drop off a meal or a bouquet of flowers. Think of others who are materially blessed and can give generously. Another who takes the time to write cards for countless birthdays every year. Another who visits those who are shut in at Fairhaven. The point is, each part has their function in that church of Christ, that body where God has put us. And scripture insists that every member belongs. 
in the human body. Maybe no one knows yet why the appendix was included. You can snip it out. Nobody notices. But that cannot be said of any member in the church, in the body of Christ. Can the young people serve? Definitely. Do the elderly have a place in the body? They do. Are little children important? They are. Men and women, boys and girls, rich and poor, healthy and sick, educated or not, we each have our place through the unity that is ours in Christ. For just remember that we all share the most important thing already. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. There's a great beauty in the diversity of the church. So many different members, gifts and strengths, yet everyone working in a way in which they are well suited, working together for the Savior. God is glorified when his people live like who they are, as the body of Christ. And that identity means that we've got work to do. That's our final point, the necessity of individual service. In your average congregation, there's at least a few dozen members. Some churches have less, some have more. Here in Southern River, you probably have close to 400. And whenever there's a crowd like this, there's a temptation for some to blend in or some to draw back, to let others do their share. Yeah, this is not how it should be. For along with everything else that we confess about Christ's work among his church, we say this, I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. Right at the end, there's that personal focus. What about you, the catechism asks. Are you also a part of the body in some meaningful way? And we should say, yes, I too have a place. Here is where I'm a living member. And beloved, let's take that word member in the right way. We could look at it simply in terms of the yearbook and statistics. My membership is in Southern River. That's where I've got my attestation. But when the catechism uses the word member, it's alluding again to that image of a body. We said how God works in each member a different gift. And the gift of the Spirit, says the Apostle, is given to each one for the profit of all. For the profit, for the benefit of all. That's the necessity of individual service. You want to build others up. Why is this so important? God knows that unconnected individuals will never thrive. They'll never do well on their own. Because being needy is our basic condition as humans. Life is hard for us, for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes we don't want to accept help. 
We think we're fine on our own, but we all must recognize our need. We need God, we need Christ, and we also need one another in the body. Others have gifts for our benefit. Others have wisdom. Others have strength. God did not design us to go through hard things alone. But we are meant to stand together. There should be this spirit in Christ's body. The apostle says that the members, verse 25, that the members have the same care for one another. And the catechism follows in the same line when it says, everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. As members of the church, we need to think about that. How can we serve those around us? It's my duty. It's my task. And I can do it cheerfully, the Catechism says, because I know that it pleases God. And it blesses others. And I know that God in turn will bless me through my fellow members. I've been around the church long enough to know that when it comes to this, when it comes to the communion of saints, it's very possible to take refuge in our excuses. We say, but I have an issue with that family or that group. I prefer not to associate with them. Or people will say, I'm fine on my own. I don't really need community like other people do. Or people will say, we're a bit different. We don't fit in with the standard free or foreign people. We're not like the rest. So they don't join in. And there can definitely be challenges to having fellowship because of our past or because of our character. But don't our excuses start to fall away when we submit to God's word? God tells us every member belongs and every member has a role. The body will thrive when all and everyone does their part. So again, what about you? What are you doing as a living member of this body? How will you demonstrate an active love for Christ and for his people? It's for good reason that right at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, God appoints us to the greatest gift, the Spirit's gift of love. Because what's the sense of all our gifts and blessings if they're not used in love? Why bother with God's goodness toward us if we don't employ his gifts for the good of others. Paul is very bold in 1 Corinthians 13 because he says that a spiritual gift is actually useless if not used in love. The most eloquent speaker, the richest giver, the most knowledgeable leader, if he or she doesn't have love, they're no better than a pounding jackhammer. No spiritual gift 
or church office or special opportunity or particular talent has worth if you use it selfishly. But if you know the most excellent way, if you have love, you can do so much. It's the one gift we all actually need. We might be only in year six, but we can care. We might only be making minimum wage, but we can give in love. We might be 87 and a widow and still be active in loving the body of Christ. You could be a young woman in uni or a young man learning his trade and still find ways to be busy with Christ's church. Because we can all show to our fellow members a love that is patient and kind, a love that is humble, that cherishes the truth, that endures under suffering, that is sacrificial, and that is giving. It's the glory of Christ our head when we live like this, when we live as a diverse but unified and an active body of living members. For Christ owns us. We are his work. And he calls us, his church, to live for his praise. Amen.
In our prayer, we'll remember Brother Adrian Denbor Sr. from the Kelmscott Congregation, who was taken to the hospital this morning, and it seemed that he's nearing the end of his time on earth. We'll pray for him and his family. Let us call on God's name. O Lord, our gracious God in heaven, we praise you that we may be your church, that we may belong to the body of Christ, that we have a glorious head, Jesus, our Savior. We thank you for his amazing love, that he came from heaven and sought us and gave his own blood for our forgiveness to buy us for himself, to create in us a new people. We thank you that now in Christ your church is being gathered and defended and preserved. That Christ is setting a people apart for himself in the true faith for today and for eternity. We pray that you would help us to live like the body of Christ, to submit to him our head. By your Holy Spirit, cause us to live in holiness. Help us to flee from all sin and evil and to do your will instead, to live for Christ as long as you give us life. Teach us also, Father, how we may support and help one another. Encourage us all, each one, to use the gifts that you have given for service. Our gifts are diverse. Our gifts are very different from each other. But Father, each of us you place in the body that we may glorify you. So strengthen our unity and give zeal to our love. Strengthen our faith. Humble our pride. Give us eyes to see where and how each of us can serve for the good of Christ's body. And Father, you tell us in your word that when one member of the body suffers, the rest of the body suffers with it. So we pray this afternoon that you would be with the Denbor family as they go through a time of uncertainty, as our brother Adrian Sr. is in hospital Father, we pray that you would give comfort and strength. Bless the Denbor family. Give them hope in your promises, especially the promise of the resurrection and everlasting life. Lord, give them peace, whatever the outcome, with your will. Father, we pray too for your church as you gather it all across this globe. We pray that you would encourage the persecuted church, the believers in many places that meet in secret and in fear. Sustain your church also where she lives with physical hunger and thirst or where your believers are living in areas torn apart by war. Bring your Catholic church together in the unity of the true faith. Strengthen those faithful missionaries and evangelists and teachers as they spread the good news 
We pray also, Father, for our sister churches. We pray for the Reformed churches in Indonesia and in South Africa and South Korea. Bless the churches, too, in Canada and America and New Zealand, as well as the Church of Singapore. Father, we thank you that in some small way we can express the unity of faith with believers in so many different places. Bless our sisters as they carry out works of mission, as they share your word locally. Equip them also in works of compassion and mercy as they show the love of Christ. We pray too, Lord God, that you would bless your churches here in Australia. May your people living in a wicked and godless society be able to stand fast, to be wise, to be faithful. Move your people, each one of us, to be willing to share the gospel with those around us, that we may shine the beautiful light of the gospel in a dark world. Gracious Father, we thank you for every good gift. Also of this day, this Sunday, as we look ahead to the week, we pray that you would help us to live in humble thanksgiving for your boundless grace in Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord God, we desire fellowship with you above all, because our life is in you alone. So we pray, grant us grace to rest from all our sinful deeds and thoughts, grace to surrender ourselves wholly to you, to keep our souls quiet and resting in you. May your grace, Father, kindle in our hearts that sure glow of faith and love and prayer. May we, through our hope in you, Lord God, find strength and joy both now and forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Your gifts of gratitude will be received this afternoon for the Australian Reformed Theological Seminary. And after the giving of our gifts, we'll sing Psalm 134.
receive God's blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.